Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in your favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Uh, definitely not stupendously. Well... Let's see if we can improve that by answering some of our lovely questions from some of our lovely listeners. Uh, so if you do have questions for this or any of our other podcasts, be sure that you're sending them in. Uh, you can go ahead and send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just specify what show it's for in the email. Uh, otherwise, Matt and I have to thumb wrestle over it, and his thumbs are larger than mine, so it makes it a lot more difficult. It's a natural built-in advantage. I can't do anything about it. Uh, oh, except the challenge. <laughs> uh, As it you- is, when, when we do the, the mud wrestling thing, you're slippery as an eel that's just because of my low center of gravity uh if you want to send them in to us uh via discord which is another option uh we do have two separate channels set up there in discord one for our patron supporters as a way of saying thank you it is the patron q and podcast questions channel and if you are not a patreon supporter we understand uh times are tough all around we all feel that in our bones uh but we do have one set aside for just everybody which is the q and podcast questions channel send them in specify what show they're for and we'll be more than happy to work them in as we can. Uh, so we're going to be moving all around the place today, and this is a, a varied mishmash of questions uh, that all seem to pique our interest. Uh, and this one is going to be from, I, and I, pr- again, apologies, pronunciations are not my strong suit. If you want to send in how you pronounce your name with it, always preferable. Uh, but I think this is Zong Mao, a Pandaren monk. Talking about the dragon flights and infinite dragon flights with the death of other aspects, Ysera, Malagos, Deathwing, the way the flights seem, when the head goes down, another has stepped up to be the aspect or the head of the flight. Could the same be thought about the infinite flight? When Murazond died, could another of the flight be compelled to stand up in his spot? Matt, you said you had some uh, thoughts on this one. So why don't well, you go for it? Sure. Um, first up, it's a cool, interesting question. Thank you. Uh, secondly, Murazon being dead doesn't stop him from leading his flight at all because they're time travelers. So Murazon's death, we have no idea how far into his life that death is. And so even though he's dead, we saw him die. It doesn't mean there's not a whole bunch of life that he can't be jumping around in time, giving orders in. So even though we killed him, we could still fight him again. And again, he can jump around, he can hit us in what is to him the future, and what is to us now. He could just show up at any moment and attack us. He could then, or he could even attack us in our past to try and prevent us from being born, so we can't kill him, which would necessitate us going to fight him again to stop him from killing us before... Do you see where I'm going with this? Murazond being dead is at best an inconvenience. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, even if his death is a fixed point, which we know it is, kinda, uh, after dealing with the particular dungeon, uh, even at that point, it's it doesn't matter. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. It's Murazon reminds me in a lot of ways of Doctor Who and uh, specifically the Doctor's wife. Uh, when you're talking about River Song and how sort of complicated the time stream is with them and her, like... 
she knows him because they had already met, but he didn't know her upon their, her, their, her first introduction because that version of him who travels through time and space and can appear anywhere in the timeline is out of sequence with his own timeline. That's kind of how Murzond is. It's kind of how the yeah. Browns Dragonflight is as a whole, right? Like yeah, she didn't even recognize uh, the Peter Capaldi doctor mm-hmm. when he came to see her because to her, she'd never met that guy, even though he had met her already in his previous incarnations and knew her. It was the opposite situation to what she had gone through. Like she met the, the 10th doctor. He had no idea who she was, but she remembered him because of all the stuff she did with the Matt Smith, 11th doctor. Um, it just, there's a, a lot of this. And in Murazond is very much like that. Uh, we could run into him tomorrow. And now it's and, not the Muro. He didn't live past the point where we killed him. And that is a fixed point, but it still could be a Murazon from before we mm-hmm, killed him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that can always be the case. We, he could lead that flight for lack of a better word, because we're talking about time travel here infinitely, but I'm because he can fish. just move. Yeah. He can just move through time. Dragons live a long time. We don't know how old he was when he started that flight. And we don't know how, how many years separate when he became Murazond to when we killed him. And and he not could only, have lived a thousand years, he could have lived twenty years. We don't know. And and like and that's the weird thing too, because like he has collective knowledge of when we are going to kill him. Because again, fixed point, they hit these sort of just knows. So moving uh that is like you kill one aspect of him, but there are so many different weird disjointed like I don't want to call them echoes because there are they are all actually him, but it's like think about if you could split yourself into ten fragments and each of those fragments were just out of sync by a day. It's you know five days in your past, four days in your future, and you. You all had a certain point of knowledge up to whatever that point is, but you could all go do different things and all travel through time and go to wherever you wanted to go. We don't know how many versions of Murazond or how many ages of Murazond are out there. Yes. Yeah, and Joe's, the way Joe's putting it, it may be a little confusing to you, but think of it this way. Take two people. They both live a week before there's a final confrontation between these two people. But one of those people can live the week in any order they want. They can go Sunday, Friday, you know, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, they can jump back and forth between days. The other person has to live that week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We are the people living the day, living the week in straight order. Mm -hmm. And Murazond is the guy who can jump to any day he wants. So even though he knows he dies on Friday, he doesn't have to go to Friday first. He can go to every other day in the week and then go to Friday. It, Even if that means he goes to Saturday where he's already dead, he can do that. And, and the other aspect of that, that's a little bit weird too, that it, it, that plays into this is we also don't know what fractured timelines have yielded and how those have spun off as well. And in a pop culture reference that I can kind of use as a point of, I don't want to say clarity because it's really not that much clearer after that. Uh, But looking at like Rick and Morty and how many different Ricks and Mortys there are and how they're, you know, those are all spinoffs of different universes because of different things that happen at different points in time. No one has ever said 
<laughs> look at Rick and Morty to simplify things. I, but, but the weird thing is, is no, no, for I some just, people it, it is, right? I yeah. It. I loved it. It's great. It's like saying, let me, let me break this down simply for you. We're going to go back to this fourth season and to be, of and to be clear, Doctor Who. I wasn't going to say simplify. It's just a point of reference, right? Because like there, there are scenes where like know, yeah. in, the, in those it's particular like, ones, like one Rick dies and another Rick comes from another, like pops back up. It's the same thing that could happen with Murzon. It's what makes or, it so interesting. It's like the Avengers discussion in Avengers uh, Endgame when they they talk about Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. It's not there to make it any more clear. It's just there because it is people's base understanding. It's a frame of reference. Yeah, yeah it's it's and it, it it is perfect here because it is just as confusing. We could we could literally kill Murazon several times before we you know even though we've already killed him already. We could end up killing him again, but that didn't turn out to not have happened because it was us changing the past. So we'd have to go back and stop us from killing Murazond. Things like this can happen. So Murazond will never actually need replacement. Yeah. Uh, But that doesn't mean someone else couldn't theoretically in the timeline of the infinites. Again, they are skipping the week around, but it's still, they get the week. It's possible that there is somebody else taking the reins, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we would never necessarily need to know that or meet them because we can keep fighting Murazon forever, uh, infinitely. Like he, when he says we we want to break when not him A and R when he says he wants to break this clockwork universe, this is what they're talking about. Yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it, it's I love this question. I love this idea. I love thinking about it, this because, because the best thing is there's no right or wrong answer. Exactly. Yeah. Could some, we could have multiple people replace Murazond or there could uh, be, or there could be a council of Murazons that are deciding what, like what's going to happen. Like meeting yeah. in a pocket dimension that they created because they can, they have, cause they have dominion over that. Like, yeah. And theoretically, technically speaking, if you want to look at the way that it's all actually working out, we in fact know who's going to replace Murazond. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Nosdormu. Yeah. So, cause from Nosdormu's perspective, he saw himself die, but he knows that was him. And so he is eventually going to have to do that, especially since he made it a fixed point in time. When he made Deathwing's death a fixed point in time, he locked everything else in, including his own fall to becoming Murazond. We could see that now. We're going mm-hmm. to, into Dragonflight. We could see Murazond's birth in this expansion. Or- we don't know. Or the other thing is uh, not to go completely sidetracked, although let's be honest, you people love it. Uh, there is a, uh, we, we talked about this very briefly going back there. We might also see something that we don't know, which is the motivation for becoming Murozond. A lot of people assume that it was uh, corruption from the old gods or, or something to do with the dark powers of the universe that showed uh, a bunch of, of truths that, could not be denied or whatever the case is that eventually drove uh, Norse Domu mad. But Matt and I have speculated that maybe that's not the case. Maybe there is actually a reason for it. Uh, and another pop culture reference that I'm going to throw in here because I literally just watched it last night and this reminds me of it. It's it's like Bruno in, uh, in, in Kanto, right? Like he can see the future. These are things that are supposed to happen, but he doesn't understand the full context of him at the time until that moment has come and passed and it causes mayhem. Right. So do we, 
did did Norris Domu see something that was going to come to pass if he didn't take those actions that then forced him to make that rash decision and cause the man he did? You know, would Thrall have been able to actually escape from, you know, South Shore? Would that have happened? Would uh, any of the events that the Infinite Dragonflight have meddled in actually occurred the way that they were supposed to if they weren't there to draw in adventurers in order to intervene? Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about this. It's it, I, don't know, I love that you, you went there with it. Um, there was a one of my least favorite comic book series was Civil War Two. Yep, <laughs> which was only slightly better than Civil War One. Um, but they had an idea for a character who was a precog who could see the future, but he just saw disasters. And they went back and forth on how his powers worked. Was he just a really accurate uh, modeler? What was he doing? That's not important for this. What's important for this is. His predictions sometimes made things happen because if they hadn't gotten the prediction, they wouldn't have gone to the place and done the thing. That's the problem with with predicting the future, with knowing what's going and to happen. Is it going to happen because you know it? Yep. Are you going to shove the block in place? It's possible that death, like when Nostormu becomes Murazond, he might become Murazond because he knows he has to be Murazond in order for Deathwing to be defeated. Mm -hmm. And that if he doesn't become Murazond, Deathwing will win the Hour of Twilight, and all that stuff we saw when we went there will happen, and the whole reason Murazond was there waiting for us had nothing to do with us. He wanted Nostormu to see it, and that's why he calls out to Amonthul at his death. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he wants, he wants Nozdormu to understand when you get to this point, it's necessary. You have to do this. Yeah. Because otherwise he might not. And if he doesn't, this is what and, you get. And there's a lot of other questions that pop up around that too. Like what else was mm -hmm. the infinite dragon flight involved with that? We didn't know about. We also don't know about the creation of, and I'm going to throw this out there. Uh, you know, Karazhan. We know that it travels backwards through time. Why? Who built yeah, it in the first place? Why did it flash into existence and then start? Like, it was that was its destruction. Yes, that was it being destroyed. So in the past, it doesn't exist, and from then it goes forward. That's weird to think Is, about. At some point, you'll get to the creation of Karazhan, and after you get to the creation of Karazhan, Karazhan won't exist anymore. And is that because the Infinite Dragonflight did something with it? Is it because that was necessary in order to assist the events that happened on Azeroth? Mm -hmm. Is uh, is that something that, you know, why Karazhan touches multiple dimensions? Because it does, and we never have an, an actual explanation as to why. So there, there's a million different questions that surround the infinite dragon flight and the bronze dragon flight in general. We talked about this in, in the last several episodes that we did. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Go ahead. Uh, I, I got to bring this one up. The, uh, the battle of Mount Hyjal raid. Mm -hmm. We go through the caverns of time because why, why do we go there? Why do we have to intervene? Yeah. There's no, as far as we can tell, there's no infinite dragon flight presence there. Like, we don't see them ever in that raid. They don't show up. Why are we there? And we've never been told why we're there. We've never found out why I've we're there. Maybe we're just there because the Infinite Dragonflight is doing something there. And therefore, we're a giant colossal distraction. Well, it was also one of like, those. It was posited on that same thing. Like, if you notice during Hyjal, there's no dragons. Mm -hmm. Where? What are they doing? 
why are yep. they why are they there like it, and this was a theory that was thrown out there a while ago uh to one, one of our listeners and i were chatting probably a year year and a half ago about this particular thing uh maybe it's the fact that there were no dragons there at that very pivotal moment not because they chose not to be but because they were dealing with the infinite dragon flight and we were in their stead doing what we had to do we were acting on behest of the dragon flights without actually knowing it yeah and then Come on to the fact that, you know, we've seen forces attack the, the bronze dragon flight before that weren't the infinites. Mm-hmm. In fact, one, you know, the, the, the Silithid and Karaji, it, from the surface of it, it looks like they made a huge mistake because they, they were winning. They were kicking the night elves butts until they attacked the caverns of time and drew the dragons in, you know, the ones that actually go through time and space. Yeah. Why do that? Why I shake? Mean, why shake the hornet's nest? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to have to fight them eventually, but why do it then? Unless that's what the bronzes wanted them to do, and they went and made sure that it happened. There's there's a lot of stuff going on here that we don't know, and that we could find out. And I'm fascinated by it. it. Was why I wanted to answer this question because I knew we could talk about it for a while, and I knew there was a lot of depth to it. Like we don't we don't even know. When, uh, oh, bloody heck, I can't remember his name, but the guy who made the hourglass and caused us to go to Warlords of Draenor. You know the guy. Are you talking about Garrosh? No, 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 the, the dragon. The actual bronze actually, dragon, yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't remember the name, but yes. Yeah, he's the, the guy who's, who's basically kicked us all into, into stead. He he had us gathering those mysterious uh, pieces from the the Timeless Isle to make that that hourglass thing. Kairos. And, yeah, Kairos, thank you. Uh, and he makes us see a vision of Sora Dormi dying. Yeah. Which hasn't happened yet, as far as I can tell. I, I've heard nothing about Sorodarmi being dead. So why did he? we see that? Was that one of the changes that made the Warlords of Draenor Timeway possible? Like, the fact that Sorodarmi was dead and therefore Nosdormu was distracted? And not, you know, things got changed? Because remember, there were, like, a lot of little differences between that Draenor and the Draenor we knew. Like, like Nerzul's wife wasn't dead. And Garage Hellscream was never born there because Grom's wife died before she had a kid. There's there's lots of these little changes, and Kairos talks about them like changing like blades of grass. If a few blades of grass are different, mm-hmm. now, they seem like pretty big blades of grass to us. But like w- you know, what's going on with that? Was what's why did we see the image of Sorodormi's death? Is that what kicks Nosdormu into becoming Murazond? Is like what's what's the deal? And that that's yet another thing we don't know. So yeah. It's an interesting idea to think about the concept that, technically speaking, Nosdormu is going to become Murazond, and that's him taking over the flight. Thus, that's someone new being ascended to the leader of the Infinite Dragon Flight, even, even though it's, though the, it's same the same person. guy. Yep. Yeah, because he's in a loop here. Yeah. Um, but I think I and, think yeah. I think ahead. we yeah, we, we, think we can done. yeah. I would say we can spend an entire episode just going over it. But I mean, again, listen to the previous episodes where we talk about the Infinite Dragonflight and the Bronze Dragonflight in specific uh, for some more information on that. But hopefully, we answered your question there. Uh, we're going to move on to the next one though, uh, which is from Starhammer, uh, who's a good old friend of ours and a good old friend of the site and the show. Uh, I'm playing WoW the Burning Crusade Classic and noticed that there's an orb similar to those found in Xerath Mortis. Is this a coincidence? It's in a little gnome lab in Karanos. Can't miss it. He included a picture. Uh, is it part of a gnomish recombobulator design? Or it is part of a gnomish recombobulator designed to switch leper gnomes back to normal gnomes. Uh, I think that this might be something that has been intentional for years, 
Well, uh, I will point out that that's actually from original World of Warcraft. It too. is. That, yep. that was in there the whole time. Um, I will say this before I let Joe go. Even if it's not deliberate, we can still speculate on it because they, the writers can at any moment come back and say, oh, hey, we reused that art asset. What if that was deliberate? And they can riff from there. So even if they didn't mean it, they can mean it now. So yeah, go ahead, Joe. Well, and, and for those of you that may not have seen it, I suggest you go there, make a character, go into the, the Karanos lab uh, and just take a look. It is literally two machines uh, surrounding what is very clearly a sphere with writings of the first ones. It's the first one's language uh, all around it. Very similar to what we were used to seeing in uh, Xerath Mortis, just not as spherical because the polygons are lower count. Uh it is an interesting idea because we know that I, I talked about this on the regular podcast and I'll talk about it here too, because I think it's one of the most fascinating things that nobody's talking about in Xerath Mortis. There is an item you can get from one of the bosses. It's a uh, Zymox. You can actually get a neck that will teleport you to random places throughout the entirety of Warcraft's history. And it tells you that you are going to a location of one of cartel Zai's, uh, uh, allies is a strong word uh collaborators contributors we know that the brokers can travel between realities but now we're starting to get an idea of where exactly they have people that they call on and this is Aarakocra camps or um the Skexis camps essentially uh in Burning Crusade as well as a lot of other locations on on uh Outland tons of places on Azeroth Battle for Azeroth world uh wrath of the lich king uh and places like that and every single time it's like this innocuous place and it's something where if you look at it you're not in immediate danger but you start looking at it like i wonder who here was dealing with them the idea here that i think is it is much more likely that brokers have been dealing with the living realm just as long as you know the world has existed as long as the brokers have existed. So stealing an orb of the first ones, which we know potentially existed everywhere, not just in Xerath Mortis, because we've seen this language elsewhere. We've seen this language in uh, Bastion. We've seen this language in different places in Ardenweld. Literally go look at the runes that are all over Ardenweld. They are the first one's language. They're just happen to be carved into wood instead of metal or what we assume is metal or soul metal, whatever you want to call it. There are little touches like that everywhere. So the idea that brokers have been trading back and forth with things like gnomes who absolutely would deal with a broker, they would absolutely go, what do you have for me? I'm looking to do this. Go find me something. Okay, here's something in return. Gnomes would do that. Like they often talk about how shrewd negotiators goblins are and how like transactional they are. Gnomes are just as transactional, especially when science is involved. Uh, and we know that to be true, especially with uh, um, Millhouse Manispark and his wife and uh, Millicent. Manaspark? I think that's her name. Yep. Okay. Uh, they have a place in the other side where they've retreated to because they've made a deal with Bwam Samdi. As a, has a broker. As has a broker who's there. Like, we know that the transaction exists. It is not impossible that part of reconfiguring leper gnomes would absolutely be something that could be done with an artifact of the first ones and that brokers would know about it because they seem in to fact, know a hell of a lot more than they, they let on. Let me now jump in here. Please. Because I want to point out something. And this is going to touch on another question we were asked, but look at Automa. What are they? They're constructs of some kind. They're like machines. But they have consciousness. 
They have consciousness. Where have we seen machines with consciousness before? Huh. Mechanomes. Uh, Titan, uh, the Titan Forge in general. Yes. And I wanted to go there because for this whole time, because of the comment that, that Eon Hazacostas made it before uh, Shadowlands came out, where he said that Zoval was a Titan plus plus threat. Everyone thought that that meant that the eternal ones are Titan level beings. We don't know that that's true, but yeah, but we don't know. Exactly. What if there, it wasn't Zoval's own power that made him that level of a threat, but the power of Azeroth that he was tapping when he was using the devices inside Ice Crown Citadel. That's the power beyond a Titan that he was accessing. Because mm-hmm. we, we now know that if Azeroth is a Titan, she is far beyond the other Titans. But now, now think about it. When the Titans came to Azeroth, the first thing they did was make servants who could go down to the planet and do stuff so they wouldn't hurt it. What if that's what the first ones did with the Eternal Ones? Because again, just like the Titan Forge, the Eternal Ones are constructs. We see what happens to Zoval. Mm-hmm. We fight other constructs designed to perform those same roles, the prototype pantheon. So if, if you look at that, the first ones made these various constructs similar to the way the Titans did. We know there's a Titan first one connection of some kind. We find that Titan, was it like a Titan fragment or something? We find it in the, in the, I want to say, uh, when we, when we go, Ju- we're jumping down to go to Corthia. There's like a Titan World Soul fragment or something. Yeah, it's, I, I it's part. It's part of the. It's part of the replacement for the Arbiter, right? Like you, you, yeah. you wind up grabbing a piece of of uh, soul of a Titan. And it's it's Argus. We use it, and when Argus tries to sn- to snag the Ar- Arbiter role, why is it that Argus even can do that? Why is his his essence necessary for this? There's a, there's a lot we don't understand about the first ones and the Titans and the Eternal ones and what their connection is. One could argue that the Titans themselves are essentially constructs mm-hmm. because the planet, which is a big inanimate thing, gets a consciousness put in it. That's the exact same thing and as a- the Eternal ones, just on a different scale. Or at least a, a, we think on a different scale. We don't know. Um, yeah, we don't know. Also, like the idea of behind it, like look at Azeroth, look at all the Titan facilities, look at the machinery put in place to nurture it. Why does the machinery have to be put in place? Is it there because the consciousness is there or was the ability to take that already there because of what happened with the first ones? Like there, there's a lot of like give and take here, I think. And so I think it's, it's quite really possible that the entire like if if the brokers made a deal with the gnomes for this device to quote unquote reconfigure them, we know that at least one mechanome had the ability to straight up reconfigure over the curse of flesh uh mecha you know mechmaster zod i want to say gearmaster zod gearmaster zod your master mecha zod sorry mecha zod i forgot the mecha zod kneel before mecha zod anyway uh mecha zod there yeah no absolutely mecha zod could do it yes he could straight up reconfigure it we know that the mogu could reverse engineer it we also have the idea that, and I can't remember the Watcher's name now. Um, that the one that we fight in Alduar. Why can't? Oh, I think of his um, name? which one, Arani or Arcadis? No, the the gnome. The gnome Watcher. The the what's his name? The Mechanic Gnome. Oh, in Alduar. Sorry, yeah, 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 I yeah, yeah. an Oldaman. Oh no, um, Mimron. Mimron. We don't know that Mimron couldn't do that either. Now that he had been reconfigured into the form that he was in. 
right? Yeah, Mimiron started out looking a lot more like the other Titan Forged, and when Loken basically backstabbed him and got him killed, the the Mechanomes themselves built him that body and put him in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it kind of cracked him a little bit because they, you know, the Mechanomes were just doing the best they could, but. Joe's already pointed out in the past that when we were at the end of Battle of Azeroth, we were contacting all the Titan facilities to get help. Mimiron was the only one to hang up. Yeah, and cut off Elduar. Like, we couldn't even force yeah. the connection. He said, nope. Yeah, he he isolated Elduar and told them to pound sand. Like, And we don't know, did he have Odin's approval for that? Did or, he need Odin's like, approval? Did he need Odin's approval for that? Technically speaking, well, we know at the end of Legion that Odin went back to Alduar and he was making connections there. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what that deal was with that. And we do know that Odin had a connection to the Shadowlands, that he was looking into it. We also don't know what he knew from that either. Yeah, we don't it, know if he saw Odin's the first tell us. stuff. Yeah, he might be fully aware of the first ones. He might know something about them. We know his eye certainly, you know, was involved thanks to the jailer. And it could have been part and, of his impetus for making the infinite army of uh, spirit infused Pokemon. Yeah. Um, and for that matter, like as we're even talking about this, like the jailer managed to completely reconfigure Odin's eye. Mm-hmm. And and the, so the technology seems really compatible. And so a first one's orb could have ended up in Karanos in a gnome's hand, and that gnome could have been able to figure out how to use it, even if it's just brute force to reconfigure leper gnomes. Yeah. And like he, like, he may not have gotten all the subtleties of it, but that's, that's what gnomes do. And especially keep in mind too, that like, again, the orbs and, and the touch of the first ones is not relegated to only Xerath Mortis. I brought this up a long time ago at the beginning of shadowlands. And, and I will continue to harp on this. There are thousands upon millions of doors when you look up. Each one mm-hmm. of those is a realm of undeath. It is a rare death. It's a realm of of the afterlives. In point and, of fact, though, you know what? And even the we ones don't, we, I'm sorry, we don't even know for sure if that's all those doors go to. I was going to say that. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Sometimes we think a lot. <laughs> it, it happens. But yeah, seriously, though. But that's also so cool to think about the idea that we don't know where all these doors go. Yeah. But the, the, the thing is, even if you discount that, but just look at the four realms we have access to, the five realms, if you count them all, uh, just look at the touch of the first ones in all of them. Every single one of them has artifacts of the first ones. Hell, There's, look at Corthia, which wasn't originally part of them all. Yep. Corthia comes as, as his own realm. It has vaults. It has entire vaults of their stuff. So those other realms that are out there could potentially have this stuff as well. So it might not have been from Xerath Mortis. It could have been from anywhere. But yeah, I, I think mean, it's an interesting matter thing. Too, for that matter, too, before we stop here, we don't know if the... St- we know that the Titans built specific things. Like, we know that the Titans built the various um, stuff on Azeroth because they built it after uh, Azeroth was wounded and the Well of Eternity was created. They built that stuff themselves to try and save Azeroth and, and heal the damage. But... Argus is very old. The The flight of the Draenei from Argus was 25,000 more and more years ago. Mm-hmm. And they had artifacts on that planet that we know nothing about. They, they were that ancient were like, Eden at they, that time. Yeah, they didn't know anything about them. They were ancient, ancient devices. One of them was the means by which Velen contacted the Naru. 
we don't know anything about the Naru's relationship to the first ones. Nothing. We know that the Naru can go to the, the Shadowlands, though, and they can mess it up pretty hard. And we know that all the different cosmic forces are kind of related in this weird dance that the first ones created, right? Mm-hmm. If if that's the case, then obviously the Naru and the Void are just are part of that creation. We have no idea. Like first ones could have been making and shaping worlds in our reality, in Azeroth's reality, eons before we, you know, anything we've ever heard of was in, was like aware of them or doing anything. We we don't know, but it's possible that there are there's first one ruins somewhere in our reality, maybe on the moon, because we don't still don't know what Elune is or what Adele is, but she's apparently the sister of the Winter Queen, and they 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 acknowledge each other as this. So what's the deal? Are there life eternal ones? Uh, are the Titans arcane eternal ones? You know what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a ton of stuff we don't know, but it's entirely possible. Joe's completely right that we might have we might encounter first one stuff in in Dragon Flight. We have no idea. Yep. There there's an infinite realm of possibilities with this, which I think is one of the coolest things that they've ever done because it means they can do so much more. Uh but we're going to move on to the next question which comes from our good friend Vertigree. Uh in the TLDR is what is an elemental? Uh, I'm working my way through the Venthyr campaign the second time, and between the Stoneborn, the Geomentals, and Xerath Mortis, and the Automa, when is an elemental an elemental? Creature typing of Automa, Automa as mechanicals, elementals, humanoids, but the materials seem the same. Is it simply beings made entirely of a given thing? The light spawn and void walkers are, is a Naru an elemental? When Muru turns into Entropius in the Sunwell, their form becomes more humanoid elemental looking like Sara becoming Saraka, uh, the light eater. Unlike Lura at the seat of the Triumvirate and Tior in Maldraxxus who remain crystalline what do you think matt i mean like let's be upfront. uh a lot of this stuff is just the way it is because of game mechanics yes like they put elemental or mechanical or so on something just because that way they can they i mean have my uniframes tell me devourers are warriors yeah it's it's not necessarily the case that they're trying to say this is an elemental just it's like things that work on elementals will work on this for game balance reasons or what have you but like I said before, that doesn't mean we can't speculate. That never means we can't speculate. Um, I think there's different ways to look at it based on your, for lack of a better word, your, your, your paradigm, your worldview. Like for Shaman, what is an elemental is really simultaneously super complex and super simple, you know? But for a mage, an elemental would, would probably just be what they can manipulate in an elemental way. Like if this being is, I summon it, it's made entirely of water controlled by the arcane power that I've used to summon it. Is it an elemental? Yes, it's a, it's made of, of water. It's a water elemental. That doesn't mean it's the kind of water elemental you would meet if you mm-hmm. went to one of the elemental planes, which I will remind you, the elemental planes around Azeroth are created by the Titan Forged. Whereas on, on Draenor, there was no other plane the elementals lived on. They lived on that world. And in Azeroth, that's Heck, the exact same case. Them. You can go visit yeah. them. Yeah. And Azeroth used to be exactly the same. The th- reason that they ended up with elemental planes was that the Titan forged banished them to them using secrets that they, uh, that their m- the makers mm-hmm. gave them 
to, to get them out of the way because they were going to hurt Azeroth. So in a way, an elemental is a being of spirit because we know that when a world does not have a world soul draining all the spirit, the elementals live in peace. They can interact. They don't fight. They only fight when there's not enough spirit for all of them to, to use it and be part of it and create with it. Um, so I want to hear what Joe's going to say, because I'm positive he's going to put something that I'm trying to formulate <laughs> in a better way, because he thinks about it more as a Shaman player. So I'm going to let him this, go, and then I'll come back. This is something that has come up a lot, especially since the days of Vanilla. In Way back in the olden days, when you still had to carry totems around with you as a Shaman, you had to go and make a deal with them as part of your original class quest. You went to the various stones that would reach out to the spirit of that element, and you would then broker a deal, and then it would then commit its resources to aiding you. Elementals are essentially ageless, unchanging beings of spirit that have basically attained raw form, raw physical form, from a given element. Their spirit basically has, made, has taken residence inside of that core of whatever volatile energies that they've had. That's the lesson that was taught since vanilla. And we see everything that sort of has reinforced that throughout time. Everything that Matt said is correct. There's a reason that they, they're a lot more violent on Azeroth than they are elsewhere. Like if you go into Draenor and you go to the seat of the elements, uh, the seat of the elements, some of them will obviously attack you because that's their job is to keep the seat safe. But the main ones are willing to talk with you. They're powerful enough to talk with you. They're calm enough to do so. They're not starving. Elementals on Azeroth, however, are sort of starving beings. They're, they're, they're pure willpower, essentially, that have made around them a core of energies. Sound familiar a little bit? Yeah, I know where you're going with this. You are <laughs> going to say it. All right, cool. Uh, very similar to how Titans with our, we're being told that Titans are formed, as well as what we were seeing as proof of concept in basically the Shadowlands, with the Pantheon of Death, just at a, maybe a, a slightly smaller scale or a more symbiotic scale. Hard to hard to really tell uh, because, again, we talk about the Winter Queen and, and how she says that she doesn't know where she came from. She was just here one day and everything is yeah. sort of tied to her. And Sim the realm that she's mm -hmm. in charge of is essentially like it's like it's almost like an inverted version of what a Titan is. And which is probably also why the Elemental Lords were able to be imprisoned and why those prisons bend to their will while there. The Elemental Plane of Fire is shaped the way it is, not because Helia made a, a giant castle for Ragnaros to live in. No, he did that himself. Uh, Therizane absolutely has dominion over Deep Home. Absolutely yeah, might, controls that. You might be able to describe them this way if you think about it. Elemental beings are like divided super baby titans. Yep. That a titan is all elements. And yes. in fact, the reason it draws so much spirit and makes the world so hard for other elementals to live on is the same reason that if you have a giant apex predator in an area, smaller predators have to niche partition mm -hmm. or they'll be destroyed. Like there's just not enough to go around. So you have to, you have to specialize and that's why they specialize in a specific element as opposed to just grabbing all of it. And that would explain why the Titans would understand how to bind and control them in a way that the old gods wouldn't. The old gods needed the cipher of damnation. Why? 
What is the cipher of damnation? Is it some kind of override code? Is it a virus? If we're going to think about it in terms of computer technology, is it a set of instructions from the first ones? Yeah. Like, is it some twisting version of how the first one set this whole thing up? If we think of the first ones as the primary coders of reality, who came up with the structure and the branching and all that stuff, how does a file directory work? The first one set it up. Mm -hmm. The Titans would be beings that know how to use this directory, but didn't make it. Yep. And that might be because they are very sophisticated programs made by the first ones to run a specific aspect of this creation. That's what the eternal ones might be and so on. And, and this feeds into the other part of this question. We're talking about like void walkers and Naru and talking about other entities. We exist. There are blood elementals. There are, there's elementals for everything because it's what they choose to wrap themselves in. Naru could very well be light elementals. Although we've seen some light spawn, um as well but like there is an uh, there is a possibility for it because there's another oh, we, sim- there's, there's there's multiple kinds of fire elemental yes there's multiple kinds of earth elemental there are elementals but that are two elements here, at once like steam elementals here's so sure why not here's another thing that a lot of people don't talk about with elementals when you kill the physical form of an elemental usually there's a core left behind there's something that boils down the essence of their spirit even in death, an elemental's core retains some semi-sentient properties. It is still aware. This has been and you'll notice this too, has been since also, vanilla, by the way. Yeah. Since vanilla. Well, also let's point out the fact that once Ragnaros and the other elementals were bonded to the various planes, mm-hmm. killing them on Azeroth no longer killed them. No, it just sends them back to their prison. Yeah. Because they're not physically here. They're not here in their elemental that they that their main body is made of. They're sending a part of themselves through. You know, like an avatar of Sargeras or or, or a proxy. If you're running yep. a program, yep. you got a proxy. And you're running through the proxy. If you kill the proxy, the proxy is gone, but the guy's back on you know, he until he writes a new proxy, you know, but that you know what I mean? It's just it's very similar now that we know about the first ones, it all looks like code. And, and I, but I think there is a case to be made that like a lot of the things that we talk about that could be elementals might actually be elementals. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I want to go along with you on that and say one other thing about it. We were talking about dragons last week mm-hmm. and we know that some of the dragons come from the elemental planes. Yep. We know that we're going to be interacting with them. Why? What does that mean about dragons? Mm-hmm. What does that say about their elemental nature? Are they... At the heart of it, what we're saying is that spirit, which is this force that gives life to everything in the cosmos, you know, anima can be split. Yeah. Like a soul. We know and that it can. We know we, 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 know we are literally can. dealing with the aftermath of it. Yeah. And think about what that means in terms of dragons, in terms of elementals, in terms of all these beings that have this, like Joe mentioned blood elementals. We know there are steam elementals like they can also recombine and a Titan couldn't just be a gigantic recombination of all these like fragments of spirit. If say the first ones broke apart, the program might actually be designed to harvest it and put it back together again. Mm -hmm. If we start off, maybe there was the first ones were essentially like parts of an even older being that fragmented into them to kickstart the universe and then fragmented further. And all these fragments might be the elementals. 
on, on each, and, and for that matter, we see that a lot of living beings are originally Titan forged in one way or another. Like look at Grand, mm-hmm. the the thing on on Draenor that eventually becomes the orcs. Why? What is the, maybe the curse of flesh is just a subroutine for housing these things? Like there, there's a lot to this. That the cipher of damnation, the curse of flesh, elemental beings, Titan forge creations. They all seem to have this same basic fractal pattern. Go all the way up and you hit the first ones. Go all the way down and suddenly you're on you're on Azeroth with living beings. Yeah, it, it, the the TLDR is that elemental is becoming a catch-all term. Uh, it's becoming a term that we originally associated with what we understand to be the prime elements. But as our understanding of the universe has grown, so has the definition of what an elemental is. So, yeah, all those things you pointed out, as far as I'm concerned, until we know better, Naru is an elemental. It has displayed all the same qualities, especially with its its light and dark cycle. When it's dark, it's clothing itself in dark energies. It's becoming an absence of energy in order to like suck in light to reclothe itself in at that core. Uh, like there's a ton here, and we can keep talking about it. But I'm gonna for now. I think we're gonna move on. This is probably something we'll revisit in the very near future. Uh, this one comes from Pliskin86. I really hope you escaped from New York. Uh, I just watched a video from Doran talking about the Forsaken retaking Lauderon and how Trellian is the new king for the foreseeable future. My question is as follows. Do people not remember the story with an old Anduin being king and in the throne room with Velen? Or is that story now considered non-canon? Um, well, that story was considered non-canon at the time. It's a possible future. It is a possible future. One that... We've speculated okay, this is one that we speculated on, but it hasn't been completely erased. And I don't think anybody's forgotten it. <laughs> no. Uh Tarallian's not king. He's regent, right? Even, yeah, he's regent. He's he's performing the role and duties of king. He is not the king. Just like when he had the job, Bulver Fordragon wasn't the king of of Stormwind. Was he he was performing all the tasks one would expect of a king, but he was doing so because Anduin wasn't of age. Mm-hmm. In this case, Turalyon is doing so because Anduin is not available. Protempe or whatever going, they call yeah. it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He's we don't know why Anduin isn't available exactly. We know he's taken a walk, but we don't know where he is or what he's doing. Uh but we do know he isn't there, and that's all this is. Turalyon was appointed. Uh, I think he was appointed at the beginning of, of Shadowlands. He was appointed regent. Correct. Because, because Gen you know, didn't want the job and nobody wanted Gen to have the job. Yeah. Gen, Gen was definitely not interested in doing this. Uh, and everybody was like, yeah, I don't want to put the werewolf in charge of two kingdoms. But Trillian being, yeah. being a hero and being a, a general and, and having those sort of leadership, leadership skills. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. He's of Stormwind. So why not? Yeah. I mean, they've done that before too. Bolvar, this is the exact same situation. When Bolvar was regent, he was this paladin. He was like beloved by the light. He's most likely a son of Lady Mara for dragon or some relative of her. And she saved the people of Stormwind when the horde destroyed the place. Mm-hmm. So the name had weight. He was a paladin. He, you know, th- it, it made sense for him to be appointed regent. Uh, and similarly, Turalians, it's Turalian, take that, and now it's it's Turalian, the guy that drove the horde out of uh, off of Azeroth and he put them in internment camps, essentially. The guy who beat Doomhammer, the guy that avenged An- you know Anduin Lothar, that guy. Nobody is going to tell him he can't be regent of Stormwind. Uh, it would be like if Superman showed up at like a, a local bakery and said, I'm gonna be cooking some 
chips and pastries, people would be like, okay, Superman, you know, it, it, it just, it's, it's that kind of instant recognition people. Yeah. Remember the statue of him that we have out in front of the city? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sure. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, again, I don't think anybody's forgotten about it, but it, like Matt pointed out, it's, it's a possible future. It is something that, or it could be something that's yet to happen. Uh, another thing that I'd like to point out is what's Velen been doing this entire time. We haven't really seen him since Legion. Yeah. He wasn't around for battle for Azeroth. He definitely hasn't been around for shadowlands. I think uh, he like shows up very briefly, like in the background of a couple of like peace negotiation things. Yeah. That's basically it. Like, but I would have expected personally, like with Anduin being in such distress and Anduin being one of, you know, his closest confidants that he would have been there trying to rally and, and help him and maybe bring him some sort of peace or being there to save him. Not, not the case, not there. Didn't make any transition or, or anything like that. There, it, there are some weird things that have yet to be explained, but I think uh, that these are threads that'll probably be pulled on later. Also precognition and Warcraft has always been weird. Uh, unless mm-hmm. you're even, especially like go back to the original, we we're talking about the bronze and infinite dragon flight. This is something that could still happen. It may look different. That scene may play out in a dozen timelines, but not in others. And it may be younger Anduin. It may be older Anduin. Velen may not be there. It may be Velen in the seat calling for the to return to Argus. There's a ton of, of possibility here. And right now, that's the key thing, I think, to take away from it is the comic isn't forgotten. It's not non-canon. It's a possibility much like what the void shows everybody a thousand possible truths that are all they're they're all technically true. Yeah. This is just another one of those things that could happen. I mean, and also for all that for that matter, right now Sargeras is locked up in the seat of the Pantheon. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he's going to stay there. Correct. And if once he gets out the legion is back, baby. All, or you know? Or maybe he did convince or, or winds up convincing the others of the Pantheon to join him. Remember, that was his original goal. And now they're all trapped in the same place. You know, I mean, and even here's another thing. We know that this cosmic war is brewing between the various realms of existence. We know that something else is coming or something else is on the horizon. It's quite possible that maybe they talk him into helping them. Yep. Like, you know, we have to come together. We can worry about all this other stuff later. This is for the fate of all existence. And suddenly Sargeras is now in charge of the, uh, the Pantheon's forces again, you know, that stranger things have happened. Um, So in that situation, it might very well be that Anduin is taking like, you know, some Naru crystal type ship to join up with Sargeras to help the Legion, not to fight it. We don't know. There's a lot of possibilities as Joe's been saying. So yeah, I, I definitely think, I definitely think people are aware of it because we get asked about it a lot. Um, and not only that, but I mean, we go back to our interview with uh, Steve Denauser or yeah. when we have Anna, when we had Anna as a guest as our two other episode, it's not forgotten. They won't talk about what's coming, but it is absolutely not forgotten. <laughs> but I think we're going to move on from that one. Uh, I'm going to jump around here a little bit and we're going to move on to a Bolvar question. Uh, how, why is Bolvar for dragon? The only person to come out of the Wrathgate in that strange half undead, half infused with red dragon fire state. There were hundreds, if not thousands of other horde and Alliance soldiers present that would have been subjected to both Putris's plague and red dragon fire. Did it only affect him because he's still barely alive and only seemed to die just before the red dragon fire hits him while other soldiers seem to be already dead. And this is from Halleck. 
I mean, I have some ideas. Do you want to go first? You want no, to? go for it, man. I mean, first off, although they're not immune to it in the Warcraft setting, paladins are considered to be very resistant to, to disease. Yes. Um, that's the first up. The Plague of Undeath is a disease. Most of the people who got hit with it were liquefying. You know what I mean? There was like, I remember that scene of that one orc running by and his face is running through his fingers, man. That that stuff was wiping things out. The fact that Bolvar was standing in the middle of Ground Zero and he was still able to see things because he still had a face is amazing. Like, that's that's not what was happening to most people. Most people were melting. Um, so that's one thing. Secondly, again, since he's a paladin... And it's extremely, like, they can be affected by the plague, but they are resistant. Uh, we, we saw what happened with, with Krishida Brudenbrad, and he was still holding on, even though he was not doing well. Uh, they, and they saved him by taking him bodily into the light. I think that in this case, the energies of life, when they hit him, for lack of a better word, they hit him. I think you're right in that his being near to death was an issue. I think when the, when the flames of life hit him, they hit him when he was in a state of about to die. And they couldn't pull him up from that, but they could arrest him. Arresting anybody else, they were probably all dead already. Like I don't, I didn't see a lot of motion in that area. Um, so it's quite possible he was the only thing still alive to be affected by it. I think it's possibly a combination of those two things, but it might also simply be that most other people, the, the Lich King took Bolvar and subjected him to tortures to try to break him. The Lich King might just very well not have bothered to pick any of the others up, and as a result, they were the the plague kept hitting them, and they just rotted away. the The flames of life could only do so much. If the body wasn't like removed from the plague, it would just keep trying to kill them until it finally turned them into goo. You'll notice that uh, Deathbringer Sarfang, uh, Sarfang the Younger, he died, but he died before the plague. He got killed by Arthas, who pulled his soul out of his body, but his body was intact, which means that Arthas grabbed that thing and took it with him on his way out, or had it grabbed. I'm sure, he, you know, some other undead thing might have grabbed it. I don't, I didn't see him dragging the guy off, but he had their bodies. He took the two people that he saw as significant, and he left everything else there. So I think that might also have something to do with it, but I'm going to let Joe go now because I'm sure he has better ideas than that. Yeah, you hit on a lot of the points that that I was going to bring up too. Like, the, I think a paladin is a contributing factor to it. We don't know how many of those folks were actually paladins that were there at the Wrathgate, because really, what was depicted were footmen. They were grunts. They were warriors. They were military units that were likely conscripted from commoners to go and do the fighting. We know that's a thing that happened during Wrath of the Lich King, during the war against. Yeah, we run Ice into Crown. them. We literally run into them. Um, paladins seem to be doing their own thing for the most part, minus Bolvar, who's leading the charge, because again, he's in command of the forces of the Alliance. That's what's going to happen. You brought out Sarfang the Younger. Sarfang the Younger is not a paladin. Look what happens to him. He becomes a death knight. He becomes, you know, something that is kind of similar, but not really. Um, but he's completely undead. He's not alive undead he's not that in between state uh it's also possibly a thing of willpower one of the things that's been increasingly um i don't want to say present but it's become a sort of story point after reading through things like the sylvanas book and some of the recent literature 
is that there's a certain amount of willpower that is necessary in having your own faculties while becoming undead or in that state. And I don't know a more willful person in the entirety of Azeroth than Bolvar. That is a stubborn person and a good, like honorable hero of, of the people in storylines. Sure. But like, he also may have just been willing to light into himself as much as possible or doing what he needed to do to stay alive as long as possible. Cause at the end he wasn't begging for his life. He was clawing his way towards the Lich King still like that is just a person you cannot kill. So then if he's still clinging to life enough and not letting go and willing to suffer through the pain of it, cause that's the other thing too, it is becoming increasingly sort of present in the story as well is there's this big pain associated with like the plague of undeath and what they were doing, what Putris was doing with that plague to kill even the undead, to perfect how to hurt the undead, the scourge in particular, there's no way that that was comfortable for a living person. And it was probably more agonizing than the original plague. So having the willpower to kind of fight through that, I think is sort of a, a big thing as well, instead of succumbing to the wounds and looking for that, for lack of a better term, the peace of death, because that's a big belief structure in Warcraft as well is that if you die, you go to a better place. Uh, we know that's not necessarily the case, but still, uh, so at the time we didn't at the time we didn't, but there, there's an element of that, right? So I think all of that plays into it. And he just happened to be clinging on enough that the life giving forces of the red dragons, which are also more complicated now than, and you can go back to our previous episodes. They were empowered by, you know, the Titan watchers, they were empowered by Tyr and the other and the other watchers that agreed to do it with what power power of the Titans, which now we're increasingly starting to think of might be anima anima, a force of, of life and death, of course, that binds the universe. So if that breath is pure anima, it's injecting it into it. It's a transformative thing. We've seen it. We have literally spent the entirety of Shadowlands watching how anima can be transformed and manipulated and molded and how it can be. It can turn somebody into something else. So, yeah, like there's a ton of factors here. Uh, so, but I think the most of it is, and I'm always going to stick with, he's just too stubborn to die. He'll always be too stubborn to die. I love Bolvar. <laughs> I mean, look at two, like when Bolvar is doing things, when he is active as the Lich King, um, I, I don't know how to put this like succinctly, unfortunately. So I'm going to just try to clip it down to its basic essence. Bolvar for dragon has always approached when he was the Lich King, he approached being the Lich King as being a general. Like he, he was familiar. The whole suffer well thing from de the, from Death Knights, Bolvar knew how to suffer to achieve a point. Oh yeah, that's suffering did not deter him. It does not stop him. I think most people would have gone through that process and just wanted to die so very badly that they might have exploded uh, because the animal would have responded to that will. Especially but, the but average as, pumpkin or pork farmer, man. Yeah, <laughs> Joe, as Joe just pointed out. Bolvar was attempting to go after the Lich King whilst this was happening to him. He was trying to get to him. Ever, you know, not many people would have been able to do that. And it is it is a phenomenal thing. And if it is Anima that was powering that, if it, the Titan's power is Anima, Anima responds to will. What do you think magic is? At a certain point, 
Bolivar might just have not, he might have just literally, not just, you know, you can't kill him because he's too stubborn, but he might have literally told the, the, the power, keep me up. Like, just like any tank who's like, you know, telling, telling the healer, just keep me up. I'll do the rest of it. Just keep me up. And the healer who's like, all right, if I have to, I will like drop everything else and I will just pump healing into you. Um, Joe knows what this is like because we did, we did a dragon soul together (laughs) and I had to hopscotch around jumping on big oozes and he had to keep me from dying and he did it. Um, you know, so I, I, I do think that that's an element of it. Just that simple, that symbiosis of the, the infusion of the power and what Bolvar wanted to do. Cause Bolvar, even after the Lich King had him and was torturing him, we hear the tortures when we go to, into Olduwar and we see in Yog Saran's throne room, and we we hear them when we go to to to, to Ice Crown Citadel. Bolvar is never bending no. to Arthas. No, not even not even once. And I mean, we've gone through torture sequences in this game that have had uh, people we thought were on the same ilk uh, balking and and immediately collapsing. Like Bolvar is. And we get one, we get one real good swear per show uh, to rain in our PG thirteen rating. Bolvar is the original World of Warcraft badass. Let's it's mm-hmm. straight up. Yeah, I, the only other person who has this kind of rep is Sorfang, and Sorfang died. No, he wanted to. Mm-hmm. He wanted to die. He, he was stubborn enough. He kept trying until finally it happened. It's like the inverse. Sorfang was going to get himself killed no matter what. It was going to happen. He was going to get that good death, even if it took him his whole life. Yep. You know, Bolvar wasn't going to die until he got his hands on that some bitch. Yeah. Oh no, we have two now. No, that's fine. We're still in the we're still in range. But like, you're absolutely right. Like, it was just sometimes stubbornness wins out. Uh, and honestly, it's a really it's a really interesting complication for the character. And one of the things that I really enjoy, as maybe a non sequitur. Uh, but towards the end of the Shadowlands expansion, we're finally starting to see, for lack of a better term, the humanity being brought back to the role. Yeah, Bolvar is a man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because Bolvar Bolvar is a man is now having to deal with the daughter that he thought he had saved that now is putting herself into harm's way, uh, dealing with her rage and despair. And the interesting thing is it's the first thing that has seen him bend. Like he didn't bend to the Lich King. He didn't bend to death. He didn't bend to a black dragon randomly showing up next to him in the middle of the Stormwind throne room. Like this is a person who has seen and done more than we ever could. He watched the Shadowlands. He knew of the threat. He fought against the control of the Jailer's domination magic, all the while keeping the Scourge in check and doing everything he could to produce a force to police it when the time came that the Lich King would be no more. Like, this is a, a like, important person. And now he's having the most important conversations of his life, and he is bending. He is having to change his perspective and walk things back. And it's been some of the best writing I've seen between characters just listening to him and, and, and Talia talk. I would also argue too that the difference is is that she isn't trying to force him to do anything. No, she's literally just talking to him. Yeah, she's asking, and he—it's one of the situations where I think if you've ever had anything where you've you've loved something like a child, even if it's not actually a child, but you know if you've ever loved anything that much, you would say no to anything that you thought could hurt them. Yep. But you are harmless. You are helpless to say no to a simple plaintive little cry, like you know. 
if like the baby needs something, you'll do it. If your cat needs something, you'll do it. You know, it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing to see Bolvar as dad Bolvar. Um, so yeah, I, I'm actually, yeah, that, that has been a really nice touch. And I think that's going to do it for today since we are, uh, a little bit over, but not too much. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the donors' contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And as always, as a reminder, those of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard, as well as the game industry at large, and their efforts to unionize to secure a better tomorrow, a safer work environment, and, well, just generally make things better. If you have questions for this podcast or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show it is for, and we'll be more than happy to pick that out. If you don't want to send us an email, you can go ahead and send them through to us on Discord. We have two channels set aside, one for Patreon Q and podcast supporters. Uh, we generally look there first as a way of saying thank you. And if not, we understand, but we have one set aside for everyone, which is just Q and podcast questions. I have two last things that I want to give you, our listeners. Two tasks. One, I want you to go forth on your journeys throughout Azeroth and see what else you can find that looks like it has the first one's scripts or things that remind you of the Shadowlands or Xerath Mortis in Azeroth or Draenor proper. Go ahead and send me some images on the Twitters or toss them into our Discord. I'd love to see what you can find now that we know that there are things that are hidden that may be callbacks to well, what we're finally dealing with. The second thing is Matt and I have been talking about branching out into some more games. One of the games that we were talking about covering the lore on, and it seems like several of you have been very interested in this, is things like the Warhammer universe, both Age of Sigmar and 40,000. I've 40K. even tried to get him to do it. Uh, so if you have interest in those and there are specific topics you would like covered, uh, beyond a general, here is a primer for each Send those in as well. Uh, there is about 50 years of lore in both of those games that I can cover, uh, and I need to basically narrow that down. So any direction you want to give me or give us, more than happy to do so for you. And again, if there are other games that you want us to cover, let us know. Uh, if it's something we're into and we, can, we know about, we're happy to cover it. But I think that's going to do it, unless there's anything else you want to say before we part ways, Matt? I just want everyone to know that I in this situation would basically be the pumpkin slash pig farmer from Westfall going, Oh, I definitely am not going to survive this. <laughs> uh, just, just so you know, I'm not, you're not getting me to be flamed up and go around and fight. Nope. I'm just going to lay down in the, in the plague and die. That's, that's me. Uh, but you know, I also do like the idea that literally every farmer in Westfall is cr simultaneously growing pumpkins and pigs. I don't know why that combination Listen, the true lasting piece of Azeroth is when it'll be the pumpkin farmers and pig farmers come to Dude, terms with each other and I, join forces. I had pigs when I was like in, in my teens on the farm. And trust me, there there is no animal on earth more stubborn than a pig. So I think the pigs would survive and become the Lich King. Quite you, frankly, you know, that you, that's where I'm thinking. You heard it here first, folks. The next in the level of the next order of death fights will be the order of the bacon. Uh, it will be all pigs. So, <laughs> but with that, folks, uh, we're going to call it a day. We'll see you next week.
Death pigs. <laughs> <laughs>